Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense. It's also the world headquarters of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We have much to discuss this morning and we are kicking off with Brendan Chilton, the last sensible man left in the Labour Party with his view on what's going on out there. Boris Johnson uh, has been accused of bungling his speech yesterday and failing to show respect for the business community and the CBI. But did he really do that by accident? I, for one, am not buying it because when you see Boris Johnson messing up to the tune uh, of 150%. You know that he has planned every single second of that. If you watch the Boris Johnson speech, and we'll play it out later on uh, in this hour for you, if you watch what he's doing, there is absolutely no way on earth, in my view, uh, that he is not pausing for effect, that he is not pretending to lose his place. He looks like a man uh, who has absolutely total and utter control over his own failings. He looks like a man who has decided to look as though he is bungling. And why? Because everybody's talking about Boris Johnson this morning. Everybody's talking about what he did, why he did it, how he shows no respect for the CBI, which, by the way, I think he wanted them to know as well. But also, nobody's talking about the social care problems, which we're going to talk about on this show. I, for one, am not being thrown off the scent by Boris Johnson ruffling his hair metaphorically and pretending to stand at a lectern and not know what to say. This is a guy who plans every single thing that he does to the final nth degree. It might not work in every single arena, but certainly when he speaks publicly, I know precisely what he's doing. I know precisely what he means to do, and I know precisely what image he wants to put out there. And so I, for one, Mr. Prime Minister, am not taken in uh, by your shambolic performance. I, for one, am bot buying it, and I, for one, am accusing you of rather cynically throwing a dead cat onto the table and trying to make out that we should be talking about you instead of what's actually going on in the world. 03444991000. He managed to get the main event through the House of Commons, by the way, by getting that social care bill passed last night, despite those dire warnings in The Guardian yesterday that he was facing a massive backbench revolt. They got that wrong then. Well done, guys. Uh, Another problem. There's also, however, a a very ongoing disquiet undercurrent going on inside the back of the Tory party, uh, at the back of the bus, if you like, because people are not happy about the immigration problem. They're not happy about Priti Patel and the migrants coming to the beaches every single day. They're not that happy about the green agenda. They're not that happy about the tax and spend policies. And so 
He does need a dead cat, doesn't he? He does need to uh, get people distracted from the real things that are going on around him. And that's what he's done. 0344 499 1000. We're also continuing this morning to keep up the pressure on the parole board, even though they've refused to come on with us today. They've given us a statement. Dominic Raab is calling for a shake-up of the system so that it's more focused on victims instead of the criminals. And that's all, of course, in the wake of the Colin Pitchfork scandal that we told you would happen, and of course then did happen. We'll be talking to Professor of Criminology James Treadwell about that. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. Uh, we'll give us, she'll give us her take on the uh, clampdowns on freedom sweeping across the European continent. Could it happen here? I don't think so, but Laura will tell us why exactly so many countries think that they should be locking up their own citizens and shooting bullets at them because they don't want to take a vaccine. Absolutely ridiculous. As ever, of course, you need to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. And of course, uh, you will be hearing from many other people as well. Kevin O'Sullivan's here. LaDonna Harvey's around as well. And you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, uh, go to Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network, and as I call him, the last sensible man left in the Labour Party. Brendan, a very good morning to you. I wouldn't go as far to say sensible, Mike. <laughs> Good morning well, to you. Well, it's all comparative, isn't it, Brendan? I mean, when you look at the rest <laughs> of the mob in the Labour Party, you look like the most sensible <laughs> one to me. But that's uh, that's another story. Now, do you, like me, share this slight kind of suspicion that Boris Johnson and his performance yesterday is so ridiculously over the top that he must have done it deliberately? He must have planned to do it, uh, even if he started off by thinking, oh, I've lost my place. He then went on and on and on and, and grandstanded it and made it into a big thing, which everybody's now talking about. And people are so stupid that they've fallen for it and they've basically gone, oh, but he's showing no respect to his audience. That's the point, isn't it? It is entirely the point. We all know that Boris Johnson is a master performer and is also the master of the dead cat strategy. Yes. Uh, namely, put something else out there to make them stop talking about the subject that you don't want them talking about. Uh, we've seen Boris Johnson before he goes live on telly mess up his hair. We've seen him, uh, you know, deliberately crack jokes at inappropriate times. We've seen him make sure the cameras are looking at him when he's doing it. I entirely agree with you, Mike. I think this is classic Boris Johnson because today, right now, instead of talking about the, the myriad of issues that are going wrong in the country at the moment, uh, we're talking, as everybody else is, about Boris Johnson, Peppa Pig, uh, and his speech to the CBI, which is exactly what he wants. Yes, exactly right. Except for, of course, uh, the cunning plan that I've hatched here at the Independent Republic, uh, which is to only talk about it in the context of it being a fake and only actually yeah. talking about the real issues because nobody else is doing it. So that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, uh, we are going to play uh, a little bit of what Boris had to say yesterday, how he said it and what it all looked like. So with, with safer streets, uh, with great local schools, uh, with fantastic uh, broadband, uh, uh, Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. People will have the confidence to stay nearer. See, there's no way, absolutely no chance in hell, Brendan, that that was genuine. No way at all. Because we've all done it, right? I mean, I do a radio show every day. You know, I occasionally lose my thread, forget where I am. Uh, or I'm about to talk about something. Don't have a piece of paper to hand with somebody's name on it. You know, it does happen. But you don't do that. You never do that. 
No, uh, I think uh, what he's done there is it's classic, isn't it? You know, he's uh, you clearly see uh, that he's he's got a speech in front of him, <laughs> and you know he would not have been sent up there uh, without a speech properly written. Uh, so this is clearly just an act uh, to try and divert the attention from away from the issues that we're meant to be covering uh, to to you know a sort of Boris Johnson fluff again, and it's part of this attempt by the prime minister. Uh, to make him seem like a sort of bumbling, innocent man that we all sort of think, oh, poor old Boris. It's one great act, and unfortunately, the British people tend to fall for it. They really do, um, and that's the thing that surprises me. But let's talk about the big issues around him. I mean, uh, there are th- like, there, for me, there are three problems that Boris has currently. One is that he is now becoming known as the heaviest taxing prime minister uh, since the last war, uh, which is going back quite a long way. Um, that's not particularly conservative, and it's not particularly what conservative voters expect. Second of all, uh, he's got the migrant crisis, which I said at the weekend is in danger of not only engulfing the government, but engulfing the entire country. And you know a lot about that, Brendan, because it's happening in your backyard. And thirdly, the green agenda, which is driving people absolutely insane because they can't afford uh, what it is that the government wants them to do. The net zero argument is fast disappearing and going down the gurgler. And so those three issues alone are enough, I would have thought, to be very concerning for anyone uh, at the head of the Tory party. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Mike, and I would just add on to that, and it kind of comes in with taxation, the fact that our economy is stagnating. Uh, There's no real growth in the economy. Uh, I think those three points are are absolutely right. The levels of taxation this current country are currently facing are the highest since the war. Uh, I don't even think people like Dennis Healy or the the Labour Party in the old days would have gone so high. Um, It's not good for growth. It's not good for our global competitiveness. Uh, The Prime Minister has also signed us up to an international uh, minimum on corporation tax, which if you wish to undercut your competitors uh, and receive more investment in your country, doesn't seem to me to be a very sensible thing to do. Uh, On the migrant crisis, Mike, you and I have discussed this many, many times, and it seems as though, despite the fact we are now heading into winter, and I I was walking down the coast at the weekend, I can tell you the sea is very choppy (laughs) at the moment. Yeah. the, the yeah, but I mean, it's not was... stopping them coming this, at this time, though, is no, it? No, I mean, it norm- isn't. Normally at this time of year, normally at this time of year, you expect the, 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 the numbers to drop off quite considerably, but they're not. They're not. And, and as a matter of fact, they seem to be increasing. And uh, the boats that are crossing the channel uh, have been sort of upgraded and sort of made better for winter conditions. Mm. Um, you know, they've sort of got more floats on them and things like this. And so this crisis isn't going away. And I have to say, um, for the prime minister and the home secretary to continue to sound off uh, as they do on this, those are the guys in charge. They should be dealing with this. Uh, and I think many conservative voters and many Labour voters, actually, don't like to see our immigration system being unfairly treated in this way. This country, I think, is broadly a welcoming country that would look after those in need. But when you're seeing people crossing the channel illegally, which is what they're doing, and getting into this country uh, seemingly unhindered, they're very frustrated about it. And then finally, as you said on, on, on the climate agenda, 
the one thing no one's talking about is how expensive this is going to be for you, how expensive it's going to be for me and every other individual and business in this country. It's all very well going green, but when the people start to feel the costs of all this, I think there's going to be one hell of a backlash. Well, there is. And already we're hearing and seeing changes being made sort of all around us without really anyone uh, giving their say-so to it. All new build housing, for example, yesterday being told uh, uh, that they have to put in an electric charge point for a car. Now, that's all very well, but, you know, how easy will that be to do? How much money will that add on to the cost of supplying the house? And also, what are you connecting it up to? Because it's all very well to go, let's have an electric charge point in the middle of Shropshire, where we're building a new... um, a set of housing but how does the electricity obviously which is going to be going into the house how is that going to be plugged into the car i mean you know there's a lot to think about here there is indeed and, and on top of that mike as well you know if people are going to be traveling around the country in electric cars we're going to need charging points around the country in the yeah. same way that we've got uh, petrol stations around the country now you know i can't imagine uh, sort of rural or the sort of suburban parts of our cities are going to want these monumental electric charging points uh, put at the end of their street for everyone to plug in and use there are huge issues around all this uh, and of course at the moment the costs of these things are so high yes. yet the government are going to be phasing out uh, petrol and diesel cars in a very few years but at the moment there's no sign that these electric cars are coming down so unless they want us to become a driverless society i know at the moment it seems as though uh, london is moving in that way no one having cars and using public transport and walking but the rest of the country that doesn't have uh, very good public transport networks and the tube etc we need our cars uh, and i'm going to keep my gas guzzling car Quite despite right. the government's best efforts well exactly right because you make a very good point and I know this because of where I am at the weekends. Outside of London, the actual uh, public transport network is hopeless, useless, right? I mean, you know, I had friends going up to London at the weekend on Saturday. The train was rerouted through Croydon for some reason or other, which was never explained, uh, which added about 45 minutes to the journey time in both directions. And you're kind of going... It's Saturday. People are going Christmas shopping. What are you doing? And there was a bus service on from Sevenoaks into London. You know, I mean, it's just madness. Well, this is just the, again, another demonstration, isn't it, of the the disconnect between the sort of North London metropolitan elite that make the decisions in this country and how the rest of us live. Uh, Because in comfortable cities, you've got good public transport, you've got a waitrose under every apartment block, you've got wonderful uh, varieties of restaurants and cafes. If you live out in the rural areas, I know you go to at the weekend, I live down in Kent and people in other parts of this country, we don't have all that. And so we need our cars. And unless the government are going to make a huge investment in public transport, which I don't think they're going to do, you can't then expect people to give up their uh, most convenient and most efficient method of travel. Uh, but again, this is the <laughs> one demonstration. We've spoken about tax. We've spoken about the migrant crisis, the economy and the green agenda, where our politicians are frankly on another planet compared to the rest of us. Yes, exactly right. And I mean, the point is this, right? Because they're so far away from the general election, because they're uh, no longer really under threat from the Labour Party, and I say that even after last week's PMQs where Keir Starmer actually appeared to look as if he was actually quite a decent leader of the opposition, I'm sure this week it will go back to normal uh, because Keir Starmer hasn't really capitalised on um, the disquiet amongst the Tory ranks. He hasn't really capitalised on anything um, which has made his position stronger. You know, we saw last week, I think for the first time, Labour leading in one one or two of the polls. Now it's gone back the other way again. 
I think, as I've always said, Mike, I think Labour has got to really up its game. Uh, as your listeners will know, I am a member of the Labour Party. And I think at the moment there are so many open goals that we could be scoring mm. against this government. And while we're, we're sort of landing some, we're not landing them hard enough. No. Um, for example, we had at the weekend the discussion on the migrant crisis, our shadow spokesperson, uh, simply just would not say uh, that these crossings were a problem, that they needed to be stopped yeah. altogether. We, the, the, the phrase was, we need to find a safe route. There is a safe route across the channel. It's a big stretch of ocean that's very dangerous, <laughs> you know, and so uh, people should not be coming across. On the climate agenda, you know, our party, the Labour Party, is very committed to uh, d this, but I think we're failing as well to understand how the cost transaction of all this is going to be offloaded onto people and how they're going to afford it. And then again, on the economy, uh, we keep saying we want to make more in this country. We, we, we have hit the government hard, I think, on the contracts issue. But we need to be saying, what is our plan to get the British economy on turbo? Mm. And that comes back to lower taxes, lower regulation and policies to support a revival in manufacturing in this country. We do that and Britain will boom. Absolutely right. Stay where you are, Brendan. We're going to come back to you in a moment. We've got a couple of things to ask you about as well. We're talking to Brendan Chilton. We're talking about uh, the problems that Boris Johnson has got, that he cannot hide away just because he's pretending to have forgotten which page he was on uh, on his speech at the CBI yesterday. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on uh, the, of course, uh, home of common sense, which is talk radio. Uh, we're talking to Brendan Chilton uh, from the Labour Party, also CEO of the Independent Business Network. I've been telling you how I'm not buying Boris Johnson's act because that's entirely what it was yesterday uh, where he was pretending to lose his idea of what part of the speech he was making. Uh, he also made a reference to Pepper Pig, which everybody's making a great deal of. Let's have a look at this one. Tony, yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, uh, to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to, hands up anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World? Not enough. I was, well, it's fact, I was a bit hazy what I would find at Peppa Pig World, uh, but I loved it. And Peppa Pig World is, is very much my kind of place. Uh, it, 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 it has uh, a uh, very safe streets, uh, Discipline in schools, uh, heavy emphasis on new mass transit systems, I, I notice, uh, even if they're a bit stereotypical about, about Daddy Pig. I wonder if anybody's actually checked whether he was even at Peppa Pig World yesterday, but, you know... None of that happens by accident. Brendan and I, I think are in agreement about that. Uh, I haven't been to Peppa Pig World personally, and my kids are too old now to take them. I think they'd probably uh, throw something at me if I tried to suggest it, Brendan. But, I mean... Um, it's extraordinary, isn't it, that uh, Boris continues to sort of get away with it and there doesn't appear to be, from what I can see, any major strategy coming out of the Labour Party at the moment at all. Well, it's exactly the same as when he told us that in his leisure time he paints crates and turns them into buses. Yes, well, in fact, in fact he famously told, uh, told Talk Radio that famously and that became he, the he story for about the next week, didn't it? He did indeed. I mean, I, I don't recall the last time he told us that he did that. And we all know why, because he's never painted a crate no. in his life. We've also, we've also never seen one of these so-called crates that he's painted, have we? 
Well, no, exactly. It's all an act. Uh, and unfortunately, the British people haven't got wise to this yet. Now, I think, uh, as we were just saying earlier, Mike, I think the Labour Party right now, if it really wanted to, could tear this government apart on rising costs uh, in our economy to the fact that we've got a stagnating economy, a migrant crisis, as well as the whole question around the competence of ministers, uh, we should be landing some heavy blows. Now, to be fair to Keir Starmer, the polls have narrowed. We were The Labour Party were ahead uh, just last week. I know they've gone back again this week. Um, but we're now moving into a position where the next big sort of political obstacle in the future is the next general election, which could come as early as late next year or right. in 2023. Yeah. Uh, and if Labour want to win... Uh, we're going to have to up our game between now and then. If the government wish to survive, uh, Tory MPs are really, I think, going to have to start questioning whether or not the right people are at the top of the Conservative Party at the moment. Well, that's right, because we keep being told by almost everyone, which is always the way when you don't know how it's all going to turn out, that all these by-elections that are coming up are not important at all. You can't draw any conclusions from them uh, because everything weird always happens at by-elections. However, I wonder, if the Tories do better than they expect at these by-elections, whether Boris might go so, well, hang on a minute, maybe this would be a good time to call an election in about you know, six months' time. It's entirely possible. Uh, we know that the government uh, are repealing the uh, Fixed-Term Parliament Act. We know we've got boundary reviews coming in as well, which look as though they're going to be more favourable towards the Conservative Party. Uh, if I was Boris Johnson, and if in a few months' time I was back riding high in the polls, just having got through COVID, having got Brexit done, I'd go for a general election. At that point, Labour will need to be quite concerned. If, however... Uh, the fallout from the uh, budget this year of increased taxation, more borrowing and all the rest of it, uh, and the economy continues to flatline and possibly tank next year, uh, the government could be in very uh, sticky water very, very quickly. Mm. People are feeling the pinch out there at the moment. We, we do know that inflation is eating into people's pockets uh, and all these other measures as well that the government announced in the budget are not popular, <laughs> particularly with business. Um, and so we are in really, I think, uh, sort of uncharted waters here. We've got a position where if there was an early general election at the moment, it's not entirely clear that the Conservatives would get their majority. Yeah, exactly right. And Brexit's still there in the background, isn't it? I mean, people are pleased, uh, I think, that we've left the European Union generally, apart from the sort of the Remainer nutters who are still hanging about saying, we'd like to rejoin the European Union. Uh, and with all the things that are going on there at the moment, I think I'm very glad I'm not a member any longer uh, of the European Union, where they seem to be very keen uh, on shooting their own citizens just because they don't want to take a vaccine. Well, I think uh, you, you would never have thought, would you, that in modern Europe, after we've had fascism, the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, we would be in a position where democratic Western European nations uh, were locking up their populations mm. because they weren't vaccinated, were shooting their populations, or firing at them rather, because they were protesting, and where really freedom is in decline. Uh, I'm glad we're not in the European Union. I campaign to leave, but I am deeply concerned about how the sort of traditional liberal democratic freedoms that we've held dear and have really held, have taken for granted yeah. uh, for centuries uh, appear to be uh, in sort of retreat yeah. as this sort of creeping authoritarianism uh, and coercion uh, from governments across Europe uh, starts to take pace. And if it comes uh, into this country where the government starts considering similar measures, we must totally oppose it. And if they insist on it, mm. we must refuse to obey because freedom is far more important 
than any power any government wants. Absolutely right. Well said indeed. Brendan Chilton, their CEO of the Independent Business Network. I told you he was the last sensible person left in the Labour Party, and so he has proven, because we'll be talking a lot about what's going on in Europe, coming up with Laura Dodsworth a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we've got more of your calls to take, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. We'd like to hear from you as to what's going on out there. Are you being uh, told anything interesting that you weren't being told last week? Uh, are you able to see a doctor? Is that getting any better for you? Are you still struggling to get an appointment with the NHS? And what's going on at work? Are you being told that you might have to get a vaccine passport if you want to do something? Are you being told that you might have to start taking a test? Because we were told last night, funnily enough, uh, by the government, that they might be doing away with all of the crazy testing. They might be doing away with all the paperwork you need to do uh, to fill out, to go abroad. All of that might be disappearing in the new year. I hope to God that's true. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, to James Treadwell, Professor of Criminology at Staffordshire University. We spent a great deal of time yesterday talking to several guests, including Alberto Costa, uh, who is the local MP in Leicester, where uh, Colin Pitchfork committed his heinous crimes all those years ago. Uh, He's been recalled to prison. Uh, There was some speculation that he was recalled to prison as a result uh, of his behaviour. Having been released in September, he was seen supposedly talking to young women, trying to convince teenagers, some of them, uh, to talk to him. It's all very murky, the parole board, and what they do is all really rather murky. This morning on the front page of the Daily Mail, uh, Dominic Raab is quoted as saying uh, that the system is adrift from its core purpose and he wants to see a root and branch reform of the parole board in order to make it more user-friendly for victims of crime rather than for the actual criminals. Let's find out what James thinks. James, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, the Pro Board, we asked to come on yesterday uh, and today. They've refused to come on and talk to us, but um, they've issued a statement which is pretty difficult to kind of uh, to, to, to interpret, really. But they're basically telling us all about how he was released and the decisions that were made and how the Secretary of State was involved and, you know, all of that. What they, what they don't say is how they got it wrong massively. And he did exactly what we said he would do if you let the guy out. Absolutely. And I I said, you know, some people I think are beyond the pale. They should never be released. And he is is one of those cases. Um, And that's not from someone who doesn't believe in in any form of offender Mm. rehabilitation. I do think it's really important for a number of reasons that we often don't talk about, you know, not least, for example, the safety of, of the people who have to work with individuals in prison in most instances, that people have the the hope of of release but if we're going to believe in rehabilitation even for the majority you know we should be under no illusions that there are some people who simply have done things that are beyond the pale and and that the risk that they present to the public you know is is always um that that outbalances any presumption that we should release them and pitchfork is one of those he's not He's not just like any other murderer, mm. indeed. You know, most people who kill, um, kill someone who's known to them. To, to kill two 15-year-old girls, you know, in one instance, while he left his infant son sleeping in a car, yeah. you know, in, in, in who are strangers to him, in, in sexual offences, tells you, I think, all you need to know about the fact that, that he was ever going to be a, a risky mm. individual. And at odds with the 
parole board's proclamations that he could be managed safely in the community is some 43 restrictive conditions imposed on his license right. you know this was just a gamble that never needed to be taken well exactly right because i remember thinking at the time well i'll tell you what if you are putting all of these conditions on his release then surely that would suggest it's not safe to release him uh, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, there, there are calculated risks there with some individuals. You know, if someone has killed um, while under the influence of drink or drugs and then spent 20 years working hard in, in prison custody to prove that they've they've changed their character substantially, you know, they've been tested in open conditions, then putting the condition, you know, as, as one of five or six that they don't visit pubs mm. while they're under the period of their licence, yeah. you know, might might be reasonable. But this is, like, like I say, Pitchfork is, is not a murderer like, like all others mm. he, he he is i think you know a, a, a num one of a small number of very dangerous individuals that were not wrapped up under that sort of 2003 legislation that allowed us to make whole life sentences or, or allowed judges in that case to make whole life sentences oddly um the the home secretary previous to that had never been involved in the pitchfork case and had never set the tariff as as kind of exceptional so it is an it is an odd and, and an exceptional case but we do have a backlog of those and when I tell people about this when I tell people for example that some um, you, you know there's a young man um, who at 23 years of age Jamie Reynolds got got a, a sentence of, of life without the possibility of parole but that someone like Ian Huntley hasn't got that they find it hard to believe and mm. I think understandably so right. you know in some instances and I think particularly for those who are captured now under that category that would allow them to be given whole life sentences where their offences are either linked to sexual killings or where their offences are extremist in, in ideology. I think those are the ones where really, you know, the parole board needs needs to think again, perhaps, about whether safe release in, in those cases is, is ever realistic or achievable. Because with what's happened with Pitchfork doesn't just damage the case for uh, uh, for the parole board generally. And, and actually, they're quite good quite often mm. at releasing less serious uh, offenders and, and putting conditions on them. It blows back onto the whole of what they do. It um, does. And, and that's the issue. Mm. Well, that's the point. I mean, and nobody would suggest, I'm, I'm like you, James, I'm not somebody that says people shouldn't be released, people shouldn't be given a second chance, but it's not a one-size-fits-all parole board and you can't say that everybody should be treated in the same way. Um, and I think, and I wonder whether when Dominic Raab talks about uh, a reform of the parole board so that it becomes more sort of user-friendly for victims and for victims' families, whether that's kind of what he means. Because let's face it, the thing about Pitchfork is that if he was sentenced in the last 10 years, uh, or more recently anyway than he was, he would have probably had a whole life sentence and he wouldn't have had any chance of parole. Absolutely. And I think in some ways, I'm, I mean, I'm even slightly uncomfortable with the... the the wholesale badging this as a, as a rebalancing towards victims because, you know, um, what an individual feels as a victim in some ways a, a, about the offence should be, in, in some ways, a, a, and, and I say this respectfully of victims, but it should be a secondary consideration in a way because, for example, if we take the case of a young man who's killed another young man on a, a deprived inner city estate mm. in, in a knife crime, for example, you know, one 
um, one set of, of parents of, of, of one victim might feel, you know, that he should spend the rest of his life in prison custody. Another may come from an, an ideology where they are very forgiving of what he's done and feel that, you know, should he express some remorse, he should come out very, very quickly and punishment won't work. That shouldn't necessarily be the consideration for me. The consideration and why the state keeps people in prison custody is because they've done something horrendous for which they're being punished, but also, you know, to protect the public. And and the core consideration for me in these instances, and, and others as well that are linked to it with cases like that of John Warboys, but also where, for example, we've seen um, extremist prisoners freed and, and then, you know, when, and then go on to, to mm. do serious further offences. The real consideration has to be the paramounts of public protection over the rights of the individual. There are some instances where someone has done something so terrible, so wicked, so bad, that you can never say that they won't be a risk mm. to the public because the best predictor of future behaviour, and I always say this to, to my students at Staffordshire University, the best predictor of future behaviour is past behaviour. Mm. And if someone has killed two young females in in crimes that are sexually motivated they will always always be a risk and yeah. for me that they have lost the right to liberty yeah. um that the that individual now the problem is you know that that that's quite an exceptional case mm. and 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 for the vast majority of, of murders, and, and one of the reasons I do say to people, you know, I think that there has to be the, the aspect of rehabilitation in, in, in murder. I've sat opposite a lot of murderers, you know, and and many of them have, have sat opposite me, telling me about what they've done, breaking down, as they recall, the horror of, of what they've done, because the, the person whose life they've taken is either a very, very close friend or a family member. Yeah. And and they do genuinely show, uh, you know, that, that remorse and then will work towards a system where they can be released. And the vast majority of life sentence prisoners like that that we release don't reoffend. But but they're not like Colin Pitchfork, you no. know. So I, I think we do need we do need a rebalancing, and we do need a rebalancing towards sense where public protection has to has to, in some instances, trump the rights of the individual. Oh, I think there's no question about that. I mean, it's like paedophiles. I, I, I like you, worked with an awful lot of uh, very interesting people, I'll say that word. Uh, I once interviewed a paedophile who said, who begged me to try and get somebody to take him back to prison, because he said, as long as I'm out, I'm a danger to children. And he knew that, because he couldn't help himself. And he said, you know, I don't wish to be outside because it's going to be torture for me not to do some harm to someone. And he walked out of my recording studio uh, I was up in Edinburgh at the time, straight to a shopping centre, which was across the street. And God knows what, what happened to him. God knows where he is now. But, you know, um, these are people who understand that they are not right in the head, if you like, and they shouldn't be released. But what's your view as well, though, James? I'm interested in this because I was talking to a barrister yesterday who was giving me all this guff about how, you know, depending on what you sentence people to, they will behave differently before and possibly during the crime they're committing. Is there any issue there? I think I think with a small number, I think, and I think you know, you can get calculating offenders who who will who will balance things up and and, and will make rational decisions in crime. Mm. But an awful lot of crime isn't that rational. You know, a lot of crime it, it happens under the influence of drink or drugs, where people don't consider what mm. they're doing. You know, um, and so it, it's difficult 
to, to kind of suggest that the, 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 the main thing, I think, in the offender's mind is the calculation of the sentence. It yeah. happens with some, you know. Um, so, for example, you, you know, we've seen situations with very serious um, armed robbers, for example, where, they, where, where even the armament that they'll choose or the way that they'll try and go about um, undertaking a, a job is, is calculated so that, you know, they, they won't face the most kind of um, severe sentences or sanctions. No. You know, there's a reason that the Hatton Garden guys went about their offence in the way that they did, at least in part because it only opens them up to burglary and, and they know that there's a lesser custodial sentence, yeah. you know. But an awful lot of offenders don't act or don't think in, in quite that way. And I think when we're thinking about, you know, the the the, the compulsion that, that's in individuals like Pitchfork towards their crimes you know he was he was rational and calculating and clearly very deceptive after after the case yeah, what a surprise i mean but, 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 but why would they not see through that though that's my point uh, yeah no and i, I think uh, you know and, and i think this is uh, this is where as well we we do need to recognize that you know so i think for some people um they they regard um rehabilitation and like i say i'm i'm a believer in in rehabilitation for most but there's a there's a tendency to see everybody as savable and yeah. that's the danger for me right. you know i think there are there are some as i say that, that do go beyond the pale you know if you've if you've expressed an an extremist um ideology for example where you've you've gone past the point of, of merely liking some posts on social media into the realms of, you know, preparing a bomb that's mm. going to blow up women and children in in a, a maternity hospital, for example, mm. you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm then very loath to think that, you know, I, I, I can be convinced necessarily that it's safe for you to be in public again, the yeah. gravity of that offence, the severity of it, um, outweighs you know any judgment that I would make about the individual's redemption. Mm. And perhaps you know if you really want to prove that you've been redeemed. And I certainly had this in the case of one lifer who said, "I will never come out of prison custody," and in part, "I will never come out of prison custody because I accept what I did, mm. and and this is my sentence. I want to pay for it by never coming yeah. out again." Oh, I, that that proves to you that should prove to you that I'm rehabilitated mm. and and I mean that one really does blow the mind but there you know but but there is a in a way a, 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 he was kind of acknowledging what he had done mm. um and I think you know with some individuals with and and, and with the gravity of offenses of, of some of those that we're locking up you know um their very desire to to come out again is is perhaps also indicative of the fact that they they haven't fully right. accepted right. just you know the, the gravity of, mm. of what they've done and people like pitchfork may wish to come out again in order to carry on doing what he did before he went in you know there's also that possibility as well isn't there james it's oh, good to talk to you thank you very much indeed james treadwell professor of criminology at staffordshire university see the point about this is i still haven't heard an apology from the parole board for making such a blunder as to let this guy out we also haven't really seen and i can't make any head nor tail sense of this statement they've read out to me and given to me as to whether or not they're going to attempt to release him again it's not clear whether he is now no longer eligible for release or whether he now still is eligible for release. Hold up. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, uh, I've got something to say, uh, and it's an important thing that I have to say. Not that everything I say is not important, because everything I say is obviously important. But here we are uh, in 2021. Uh, It is, of course, the 23rd uh, of November. It's Thanksgiving week, if you happen to be of an American bent. It's also uh, time to think about award ceremonies, because, uh, you know, there's the Oscars, there's the Golden Globes, there's the Brits of course, and there's the Grammys. Now, the Brits has been renamed this morning by The Sun as the Twits. And the reason they've said that is because the Brits has gone gender neutral. Now, you might be very surprised to know that actually, I think it's a good thing. Piers Morgan doesn't. Piers Morgan says that it's wokeism gone mad. Piers Morgan says uh, that they are being utterly ridiculous by doing away with best male singer, best male performer, best female performer. But I say Piers is wrong about this because guess what? Actually, the good thing about this is that the Brit Awards will now be shorter. There won't be as many awards to give out. And at the end of the day, what difference does it make if you're a man or a woman? Either you sell the most records and you sell the most albums, like Adele will probably do this year and probably win everything. Adele is a woman. So what? You know, if Michael Jackson was still alive and people didn't hate him, maybe he would win some awards. He could be... The best singer of the year. It doesn't matter whether he's a man or a woman, does it? According to uh, the piece in The Sun today, people think 
that it's gone ridiculously crazy. Tom Hunt, an Ipswich uh, MP for the Tory party who's appeared on this show many times, says, whatever next? Will it be the Spice people? Will it be the Backstreet Persons? Well, no, it doesn't matter, does it? If you put out the best album of the year, what difference does it make what gender you are? If you're the best performer of the year, what difference does it make what gender you are? I mean, the idea that people are getting wound up about this is quite remarkable. And as I said, I think the shorter the Brit Awards are, the better. I hate award ceremonies. I don't like looking at them. I don't like watching them. I watched a little bit of Adele's audience with the other night, which was absolutely sick making. It was awful. I think she's going to appear on Plank of the Week this week, which we're filming later on. But the idea that somehow, just because Sam Smith is now gender neutral, this has happened. And I think that's why it's happened, because they didn't know what to do with Sam Smith, because Sam Smith doesn't know whether he's going to enter best male uh, or best female, because he's neither. He's apparently best something in the middle. And you can't add to the awards by making people get an award for being gender neutral. So this seems to me to be the way to go. The Brits not having any gender is fine. It's absolutely fine. I don't know why people are getting so worked up. And I think Piers Morgan on this occasion uh, is wrong because it's not wokeism gone mad. It's common sense. And if they can cut a few hours out of the ridiculous backslapping fest that goes on every single year for all of these lovies who sing for a living, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. So I take my hat off to the Brit Awards. I think you've done the right thing. You're not twits. Uh, You're uh, doing something right. And that unusually is something that I will recognise and that I will celebrate. And I will say, well done to the Brits. Well done for joining the modern world. We don't need genders in award ceremonies. What difference does it make? You've either won it or you've come second. Who cares whether you've got some kind of genitalia or other? Doesn't matter. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's a delightful day. It's cold. It's crisp. It's November. And Laura Dogsworth is here. Very good morning to you. Good morning. Do you know, I didn't even notice the weather on the way today. Did you not? No. It's chilly, though. I was just thinking about the dystopia that's creeping up on us day right. by day. I didn't even really notice what was going on on the way in because yeah. the news has been quite it's been quite consuming recently, mm. hasn't it? It really has. I mean, when you see all of the rioting and all of the sort of the tear gas and all of the mm. water cannon being fired at people, and you think, why is this happening? And you wonder what it is that's making the government issue these kinds of instructions to their more or less paramilitary police forces to start attacking their own people. Why is it happening? Well, the Austrian interior minister has called out the increasing radicalisation of uh, of people who don't want to be vaccinated, you know, anti-vaxxers. And I thought, hang on a minute. First of all, recently you locked down the unvaccinated. Now you're going to lock down everyone because just locking down the unvaccinated wasn't going to work apparently didn't work imagine that and and now you're going to force everybody in the country to be vaccinated i wonder why i wonder why there's some radicalization among the population wouldn't it it, what a weird way to twist it around so i wanted to talk about this day because i've been thinking about this for a while Mm. i've been wondering about writing about it but the thing is if you draw comparisons to, to, to totalitarianism, you get accused of being too extreme. And, you know, don't mention the Nazis. Yeah. I feel like an episode of Faulty Towers here. Right. Don't mention the Nazis. Well, I mentioned it once, don't I mention think the I got Nazis. away with it. Uh, but the <laughs> thing is, totalitarianism doesn't arrive overnight. No. It creeps up on you. And then Lord Sumption brought out a great article in The Telegraph yes, and I thought, right, if it's good enough for, for Jonathan Sumption, it's good enough for me. I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with him. Yeah. I think we do have a problem. Look, we don't live in a totalitarian country. This is still a democracy. Yeah. 
but there are signs of authoritarianism and totalitarianism which are creeping up around Europe, which are very troubling early warning signs I think we need to pay attention to. I think to. we absolutely do. Do you know what I think about this government is that this government is less totalitarian since Matt Hancock left it. I think he was quite keen on that sort of stuff. And I think for, for all the criticism I've made of Sajid Javid in the past, he does at least seem to have a, a, a sort of a sentiment of mm. democracy about him. And when he said at the weekend, and I know that we can't always believe everything they say, but when he said, look, we're not going to uh, in any way mandate vaccination. I mean, again, if I'd been Andrew Marr, uh, who I'm not, I would have said, well, hang on a minute. You've already mandated it for people who are in care homes and you've already mandated it for people in the NHS. And he kind of addressed that and said, well, that's different. But is it? No, it's not different. And actually, you know, I'd love to have a big, broad, sweeping conversation about totalitarianism with you. But it's about the individual. Mm. It's about the person at the, at the other end. The person, at the, the person at the other end of that metaphorical jackboot. I just published a story in my Substack about a care home worker who's going through the disciplinary process and is about to lose their job. Now, in her case, she's had COVID, mm. okay? And she's got antibodies. Right. Okay, so if this was really about medicine, public health, um, about if it was about science... Mm. You could at least let them all have antibody tests, yes. okay? And anybody who's got antibodies doesn't have to be vaccinated, right. right? And there should also be religious exemptions. And do antibodies last? I mean, I know this is not a medical... Well, it is a medical question and you're not a medical person, but I don't know the answer to it. Maybe you do. If you have antibodies because you've had COVID, do they stay with you for a long time or a short time or what? Okay, well, somebody was just saying recently, somebody from... The NHS, I feel useless now because I didn't catch a note of the name, sorry, but on the That's BBC right. saying that the reason that we're not going to have such a big wave this mm. winter is because we have so much natural immunity, yes. because we have more infections in the summer. And we're supposedly summer. ahead of the curve right. than Europe, right? So you can't have it both ways. Right. You can't say natural immunity doesn't count in care workers, but oh, we're going to do better this winter because we've got natural immunity. Of course it's got to count for mm. something. Yeah. So Anyway, this this poor person who um, has sent me their story and I've published it, they had a breakdown last summer because of the, the stress of lockdowns, which they described as psychological torture, but they love their job. They genuinely, clearly love their job, looking mm. after adults with learning disabilities, has had COVID, has antibodies, doesn't want to be vaccinated, will have to leave their job. Yeah. And said to me, you know, that that's 10% of the of the care quality yes. commission registered workers who are going to be leaving their jobs this right. is decimating an industry yeah and if well, you look at the overall... as many as i think sixty thousand people that, that was the figure i heard and what does that do to the overall net benefit of public health you know those those adults with learning disabilities in this home they're not going to have a better quality of care because mm. they're now short-staffed it won't help them live full and meaningful lives and they won't be safer no so therefore, you have to ask why again, don't you? Because if they're not going to be safer, why is everybody so convinced that that is somehow the answer? Mm. Because it's one thing for them in this country to nudge us. And you've talked about the nudge unit many times about, you know, if you haven't been vaccinated, please go and get your vaccine. Please go and get your booster. It's the best thing you can do. La -di -la. Mm. That has turned from a recommendation um, to a suggestion to an order in Austria. Absolutely. And not just Austria, also um, Germany has yeah. said that they'll mandate vaccinations for everybody. Now, let's think about what that would look like. Does that look like people being strapped onto gurneys and forcibly vaccinated? That's all very one flew over the cuckoo nest. Yeah, isn't it just? Right. Um, or is it that people won't be allowed to leave their homes or they will be fined and then imprisoned? I, my, my opinion is if you have lost bodily sovereignty mm. you've lost everything yeah. if you don't have freedom over your body you don't have freedom right. and so this is a totalitarian concept that the state can exert absolute control right. 
over you. It is. It's like you turning up, as you say, in one floor of the cuckoo's nest and being handed your medication and your little cup and you take the pill and you swallow the water. Yeah, and you have to, otherwise you get the electric yeah. shock therapy. Yeah. So the World Health Organization have said this as well. That, um, and now they've joined in, haven't they? Yeah, that vaccine mandates should be a last resort when persuasion hasn't worked. But this is missing the point again. Mm. If you try to persuade somebody and then they say no, I believe that's where it should be left. Mm. No means no. Well, you know, my body, my choice. Isn't it funny? Because that, that applies in every other case, including in sexual matters. If you say no, that means no. It doesn't mean yes, maybe. Yeah. means no and the, the same people who would say to you uh, you must have a vaccination would defend that mm. as a principle wouldn't they yes but no doesn't mean no in totalitarian states no. that's the thing let's look at china where they've had compulsory basically compulsory um contraception and mm. sterilization when they had the one child policy yeah. and there were also um there were also anecdotal reports of forced abortions yeah. even at late stage right. okay so the state had absolute control over people's bodies right. now we're not china we're a democracy but what we're seeing is a tipping point in Western, liberal, democratic countries where the state is saying, actually, no, we, we do want to have control over this one aspect. Mm. But you have, to, you have to have a line. You have to hold a line. We're in danger of crossing a Rubicon here. Yeah. And the most important thing is to protect the freedoms that make being a human worthwhile, that make, make life worthwhile. Well, you remember Neil Ferguson saying once in one of his many interviews that at the beginning, they looked at what China was doing to control the spread of the virus and thought, we'd never get away with that here. I think those were his words. Yeah. But then, later, said, do you know, actually, we probably could have done. Mm. You know, where people that I know, who know people in China, were telling me that you would come home from, say, a visit abroad, and you would be told to quarantine in your home, and they would literally come and, and, mm. and sort of seal up the door. And they'd put a camera on the front, and if you went out, you'd get arrested and put in jail. Yeah, it's a form of medical imperialism, yeah. and it's why, why virologists and medical people shouldn't be in charge. Well, this is it, and this is a really important point, I think, because we have fallen, or some parts of our society have fallen mm. for this kind of ludicrous notion that because you've got a degree in something, or because you're an expert in something, that mm. somehow you can then therefore dictate to us how we should be living. I'm not having that. No, and I think that um, the idea that a, a mandatory QR code enables your participation in life is something that people should be worried about. Mm. Don't forget that when the UK vaccine passport was first revealed, the curtains slipped a little. Yeah. And do you remember we saw functionality on there that was nothing to do with vaccination mm. status? There were things like um, ethnicity, um, criminal convictions, alleged criminal behaviour. Mm. What has that got to do with being potentially infectious and going into a nightclub? nothing right. so the app was built with all of this functionality and that's been the same when we've seen the curtain slip on other right. passports around the world and it looks quite similar to the social credit system in china so like i keep saying we're not china we are a democracy but there are these signs coming in that the state wants to exert complete control over your bodily autonomy um i mean the other things that are indicative of authoritarianism and totalitarianism are emergency powers yeah. we still have emergency powers and and they contained extreme powers also the legi legitimacy of those powers are constantly justified by the use of fear mm. so the crisis um, maintains the imposition of these increasing and continuing um, interruptions to our freedom and there's been very minimal political opposition so we're not living well, under none, one party rule yeah. but the opposition has been spineless Should well we not it only spineless? that but quite encouraging of it in, in the sense that either they wanted it done earlier or harder or longer yeah right 
And there's a suppression of opposition from other quarters as well. You know, um, scientists, journalists and politicians mm. have been censored. Videos have been removed from YouTube. There were Ofcom rules which inhibited the discussion about the public health policy. Mm. Um, so when you have that suppression of discussion only in one direction, that's not healthy for democracy either. And then, you know, finally, there's state control over the individual, the, the, the state and also the World Health Organization mm. saying, well, we'll persuade you unless you can't be persuaded and then we'll make you. Yeah, I know. It's quite frightening. Laura Dodsworth is here. We're going to stop for a moment. Um, and then we've got some very interesting news to impart to you uh, about something that Laura's been doing without me, would you believe? She's done another show, but I wasn't on it. Anyway, we'll hear more about that coming up very shortly. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've just been talking about clever people because, of course, here at Talk Radio, we're not clever. People say that we're stupid because, you know, we might be racist and we might have voted for Brexit and we might be just really horrible people. But I'm sitting here with Laura Dodsworth, one of the nicest people I've ever met. And I'm actually, regardless of what some people might say, I'm not a bad guy, honestly. Just ask my ex-wife and she'll tell you. <laughs> she, actually, she's not the right person to ask. But I'll tell you what I am going to do now. I'm going to list, let you listen to a fabulous new show uh, which was recorded, I think, at the end of last week. It was. And it's called Straight Talk uh, and it stars... Not just Laura Dodsworth, but Tonya Buxton and Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, right? So it's like the three most intelligent women, uh, or some of, the, some of the most intelligent women I've ever met. They've done this show. Not only um, have they done it without me, but it's also become the biggest watched and most watched show so far that's been put out over the weekend on Talk Radio. So have a, have a look at this. So thinking about how... Um governments and companies try to push certain messages across. There have been some really interesting vaccine incentives in the news recently. Did you also see the brothel in Vienna, yes. in Austria, that was using vouchers to um, encourage vaccinations in a pop-up clinic that they were holding inside the brothel? Yes, I sent that to my other half and he thought it was really funny to reply, wow, I've just booked my flight to Austria, <laughs> I mean Spain. <laughs> But it's not funny, is it? It's not funny. On the one hand, we've got health messages. And on the other hand, we've got an invite to enter an industry which is not healthy, certainly not mentally for the people involved in it, possibly not from other physical health aspects as well. So the, the messages are so mixed. But the whole thing about incentivising a vaccine is wrong, full stop. Yes. End of story, full stop. I mean, why would you need to incentivise something that's going to do you good? Why, why do you need to do that? It, it's all about personal choice. And the whole thing about this particular virus is we know that if you're obese or fat or, or have other health issues, um, what's not going to help is the incentive we've got here from McDonald's, uh, McDonald's in the USA, free beer, pizzas, uh, we've got donuts, we have the most ridiculous things, the most anti-health things are yeah. being incentivised yeah. in order to take a vaccine for your health. Yeah. Get your head around that. That's very good, that. Why, thank you. Very good indeed. And you can get that on YouTube. If you haven't watched the whole thing, go and watch the whole thing, not now, but later, you know, um, but congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It was you know, fun. Yeah, this no. is what happens, right? We bring these people here. They go over our heads. They go and get their own show. I mean, you know, that's show business. That's what it's like. Oh, just trampling all over <laughs> you to get to the top, Mike. But, you know, the good thing about being good, which is what we are at Talk Radio, is that we mm. help other people. If you went to the BBC, they wouldn't do that. They would say, oh, no, 
we can't do that because you know somebody might be upset you know oh um you know that woman that, that does news night emily maitlis oh she wouldn't like that no we can't do that andrew Marr's leaving because he can't say what he wants to say apparently you know and um, it's just it's you know we are painted as this kind of toxic media organization when in fact it's the complete opposite it's everybody else that's toxic it's a, it's a really interesting point I saw somebody's comment in relation to this this video. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's straight talk with me and Tonya. And, Great um, name, by the way. Yeah, I like the name. It just it came straight up to the top yeah. of our heads. It's what we want to do. Not clickbait. Yeah. Not being salacious right. or, you know, spin. Not Nothing crazy. We just no. want to talk about what's really going and on. And it's a very considered conversation because the good yeah. thing about what we do is we have enough time to do that. It's not all yeah. about, you know, five minutes here, two minutes there. Yeah, we don't want to shy away from what's really going on in news, but mm. it's not about it's not about clickbait. Anyway, somebody said um, you'll damage your your credibility by being on talk radio. Quite right. Like, what? Well, first of all, <laughs> I've been on every week with Mike for ages, right. and you know, from my own point of view, last year during the you know those early weeks of the epidemic. Yeah. I had to stop listening to Radio 4 every morning because mm. I, was, I was waking up feeling angry yeah. by the coverage and I switched over to talk right. because there's so much more balance. You get so many different interesting guests. You know, you're getting in the you know the ministers, the top politicians and yeah. the scientists, but also those counter-narrative points yeah. of view, just different points of view. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm, I, I've been listening to it. How can it... Yeah. I, I don't believe Which this kind of back. snobbishness yeah. that you might damage your credibility right. by being on... Um, something that's but, not know, the BBC. But also credibility with whom exactly? With the people who are so close-minded that they believe in everything they're told by the government, even though they hate the government because they mm. hate Tories normally. Um, but they believe everything they say about health. And you kind of go, because this takes us back, doesn't it, to, mm. to the European model, which is now currently going on as a kind of totalitarian thing, where if you don't believe what they're telling you, there's something wrong with you. Because that's the other thing they do, isn't it? Orwellian kind of behaviour therapy totally well it seems to have had a good reaction so far we talked about the tesco ad mm. obviously ob's got to talk about father christmas branching a qr code um these crazy vaccine incentives because i mean the world has gone quite mad when yes. we've got to the stage where you can shag for a jab or have a joint for a jab or a donut <laughs> right. for a jab or enter a co raffle for college education for a jab it's a bit nuts it really is we talked about that and also jk rowling being cancelled from her own mm. 20th anniversary show so things that people are thinking about but they're not necessarily being brave enough to have and the, a conversation and, yeah, well, about. Well, that's the thing. An awful lot of people who say that, you know, these, these things are literally not being talked about anywhere else. And they're really not, mm. you know. So we're very proud of what we do. And, and I'm very proud of you and what you've done. And, and I will continue to do what I do. And we will. And that's why we keep getting bigger. Because people are coming to us. And there are still people that don't know about us. So spread the word. No. to as many people as possible. I got in a people cab the other day. People haven't heard of talk yet. Yeah, because we've never, you know what, we've never advertised. We have mm. never advertised. The only time we've ever had an advert was in a couple of the newspapers here inside the building. But we've never had an outdoor kind of poster campaign. We've never had mm. anything like that. Yeah. So wow. a lot of people still don't know we are, we are here. So it's always worth spreading the word to people. Well, that's true. I mean, I heard about you through word of mouth. A mm. friend sent me some, um, some clips of, right. of talk radio and it was like a parched person in a desert finding an oasis. Yes. It's like, bathe me in this common mm. sense. Give mm. me more. Give me more. I found you on the radio. Yes. There we go. I, I didn't need an ad. I was told. There you go. And that is sometimes the best way as well, because if somebody does tell you that. But it is extraordinary. The bigger we get, of course, the more opposition we get as well. And the more people that come out and basically paint you as this horrible individual. And, you know, well, you're obviously a racist and you can't possibly, you know. And also now, Peter Hitchens talks about this a lot, that people have lost the ability to 
understand that they might not agree with you about one thing but they could agree with you about something else now that's gone if they disagree with you everything you say is therefore wrong and so you can't have a point of view about anything they either love you or they hate you and what you're actually saying they're not even listening to it's so unfortunate uh, you know we all have to share this patch of earth together you have to be able to hold hands across the aisle yeah you have to be able to cope with people having different points of view. It's fine. I and had a you can great also approach the conversations great politely. Great row yesterday about uh, Colin Pitchfork, this horrible murderer who was released on uh, parole and then had to be recalled to prison because he did exactly what we said he would do, which was he started mm. to interfere with young women again. And I had this great row with this barrister, which got quite personal, quite heated. And he sent me a message after him saying, I really enjoyed that. And that's what we should be doing, right? You know, you can you can be. I mean, I grew up arguing in in a family of Scottish people who just spent the time arguing around the dinner table. That was our hobby. If you ask me what my hobby was when I was a teenager, it was arguing, and that's what I love to do. And I don't fall out with people because they disagree with me. Um, and if I if they call me a name or I call them, and it doesn't matter. Mm. It's all part of the cut and thrust of life. And I might even nick some of their arguments and use them against somebody else the next time. Do you know it's the same for me? Grew up with constant conversation, constant debate, interrupting each other probably yeah. over the dinner table, but non-stop talking. I think it's it's a healthy way to be. Yeah. Um, my my ex's family wasn't like that. They never disagreed. They never talked about things. No. And I found I found it really hard. It's this difficult, polite, isn't it? Stilted to, to conversation sit around the table and just kind of cut up your food and. So, what did you do today? I know. If you're not chucking food over the table at each other no. while you're arguing, no. you're not really having a meal, are you? Exactly. I'm kidding. No, but I mean, it's 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 the food of, literally the food and staff of life mm. is conversation, you know? And if it's all just nicey-nicey, there's not much point, really. No, but, you know, this is this whole thing with cancel culture at the moment. It's why we talked about mm. J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Imagine leaving the originator of that incredible set of stories and franchise out of the anniversary it's pretty film rude apart from because else. people don't like her alleged transphobia it's incredibly but she rude isn't transphobic anyway of course she's not she wrote a fantastic essay in 2020 arguing how trans rights shouldn't be incompatible with women's rights that right. women have a uniquely female experience right and to leave her out of the 20th anniversary film is pathetic. I it mean, really I wouldn't, is. I wouldn't want to watch it because I, the thing I'm interested in is, is the person that wrote the story. That's yeah. where it all started. It yeah. started with her. So right. how can you leave her out? But this intolerance for different viewpoints is really, it's making life boring, actually. Well, it's making it um, ridiculous in a way as well because people are failing to see the irony in it. You know that you're actually cancelling the person that created the thing that you're celebrating. Okay. You're right. That is ironic, isn't it? It is. But they don't see that. Because they have no sense of humour. And in any sense of... The, you must have a sense of the ridiculous. And that was the other thing my father always taught me. Is you must not only have a sense of ridiculous, but know how sometimes ridiculous you are mm. yourself. Because then you're completely um, unhurtable. Nobody can come at me and tell me anything that I don't already know about myself. If they start giving me a hard time, I'm going, so? Is that the best you can do? You're right. We need a very healthy sense of, of the ridiculous yeah. at the moment to cope with life anyway, don't we? Yeah, Definitely. Well, listen, um, we'll be getting you back for plank soon, I dare say. But um, I'd love to. Well done on the, uh, the straight talk thing. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you then. Laura Dodsworth. Um, and, of course, more of your calls, more uh, from Kevin O'Sullivan coming up as well. He doesn't agree with me that Boris Johnson is uh, basically ripping it all out of us by pretending to be a bumbling oaf. He's not. He really isn't. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us talk uh, to Jeevan Sander, economist, former Treasury official, uh, about what is going on in the, co in the social care sector, because the cost of social care has been crippling people for many, many a year. Uh, and we do need to sort this all out, don't we? Uh, Jeevan, a very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon, Mike. It's thanks, wonderful thanks very much indeed to, uh, for, for talking to us. I mean, it's such a complicated issue, this. I don't really know where to start because, you know, there are people who can't afford to put their relatives in care. There are people working in the care sector who can't stay there because they're not going to be vaccinated. There are people running care homes, making a fortune. You know, I mean, it's a sort of panoply of, of madness, isn't it? Yeah, the care sector has always had, well, has had a lot of problems for a lot of years. I mean, look, one and a half million older people not getting the care they need, people being left for days at a time without food, without being checked up on. It absolutely needs to be fixed. Now, the real things about these plans, and here's kind of the real top line here. Of the original plans, you had a house worth 100K, you would lose about 45% of your assets. Right. The plans that the government snuck out last week means that person, £100,000, who has that house, will now lose 80% of their assets if they face the maximum cost of care. Mm. If you have a half a million pound house, you only lose 20% of your assets. These new plans, it protects the wealthiest pensioners. The least wealthiest end up contributing the most proportionally, and the rest of us have to pay higher taxes mm. as well. There's a reason the government didn't openly announce this because they know how absurd it is. And it's time to go back to the original proposal. The other thing is it doesn't even save that much money, about 0.1% in order to take houses away from the least wealthiest. Yeah. And so how is it going to be altered, do you think? Because I was reading a piece in The Standard just a few moments ago, uh, which has just come out, in which they're suggesting that it's going to be butchered in the House of Lords anyway. Uh, it's more than likely to come back for its second reading in a very much different form. Uh, some of the backbenchers of the Tory party want to see the cap lifted anyway. Um, so is it going to end up being another one of these uh, inevitable U-turns? I suspect so. I mean, the majority was very much reduced. Also, we know how restive the Conservative backbenchers are. We should also remember as well, this is hitting Conservative MPs. I think three out of four seats they won off Labour last time. Houses or average house prices are about to be hit the hardest by this social care change. And as you can see, it's leading the headline this morning. I suspect we're going to see a U-turn, but not in the kind of the full U-turn we expect from this government. What they tend to do is kind of U-turn most of the way, but not all the way to save some face. No, quite. And as far as the way that this can be solved in the long run, I've always been slightly troubled by the way it's funded. I've often thought that there would be a better plan if we had a sort of separate entity outside of the NHS, outside of councils, and, and just independently run, non-for-profit, um, as a kind of administrative arm, at least, of, 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 the, of the social care sector. Is that something that, that you would look at? I mean, that's up to the, the care providers. I mean, the problem at the moment is, I know the care sector has huge issues. The problem they have at the moment is really about funding and actually the way we fund it. Now, we could have funded out our general taxation, so we're not going down that road. Another way is actually just to cap people's assets who end up paying 15 to 20% across the board, rather than having this kind of system where if you have very little assets, you pay a lot of proportion of your assets away in this, under these new plans. If you have like a lot of assets, you have the £86,000 cap, which basically means you keep most of your very nice house, usually in London, the southeast. Right. And of course, the problem for a lot of families as well is that they have um, an asset, but the only asset is the house. And they hope that they at some point can pass it on to their children. Um, is there any alternative to this method whereby they could keep hold of that asset, albeit that it might only be a house that's worth 120 or £130,000 outside of London? You know, is there a way that they could fund it differently? Well, the two other ways would be basically, and the first and foremost, just have a general increase in taxation to pay for it. But that would mean kind of a, you know, a rise for all of us. The other thing this government could do, actually, is just to tax the wealthiest people in this country. You could reform capital gains tax and get about five billion out of there. Get another five billion if you tax transaction the city, another two billion from a mansion tax of those over two million. There's your 12 billion altogether. You can probably get it up to 13 that you need to in order to kind of pay for these bills. So there is certainly a way to do it and there are ways to shift around the taxation to do so. It's really about the political will. And dare I say, if you're a government who has lots of 
uh, wealthy homeowning pensioners, clearly they don't want to hit them at this particular point in time. No, because, I mean, that was Theresa May's difficulty, wasn't it? And also the other problem, I think, for this party of the Tories at the moment is that they're already being accused of being the party of high tax and high public spending. And they probably, I can't imagine, want to go any higher. Yeah, I mean, look, they've got a political coalition that's moving in two different directions, right? They've got those kind of high-earning kind of young people or working age people. And now they've got this kind of new set of voters that are generally do have homes, but aren't as kind of rich as their old part of their political coalition mm. is. Starting to see that kind of pull apart slightly with these particular plans. Yeah. And I mean, it's only going to get worse, this, isn't it? Because as people live longer, as people, um, you know, are healthier longer, I suppose, as well, um, with, 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 with luck, um, you know, are there even enough care homes at the moment to cope with it? At this point in time, we're hearing about huge shortages in the care sector. I know at the moment they're having to increase wages to kind of attract people into the kind of scheme. Mm. It's certainly true we're living longer. That's very, very good news. The other thing I would look at is kind of, you know, the general health of the population. Now, at the moment, we live in a country where, for example, one in 10 adults is going hungry. We know that if you don't have enough money, you can't turn on the heating, you're stressed out, it hits your health care later on. So actually... We're building up these long-term health problems by not ensuring that today people are living good and healthy lives. And one way to do that is actually ensuring that if you are working full-time, you shouldn't be choosing between heating and eating. Yeah. The other big problem for me, though, as well, is this new tax that they're bringing in, national insurance expansion of zero of 1.25% in April, which they say is going to be for the NHS and for social care. I mean, I'm not convinced, really, because I'm assuming that, one, they can't even really guarantee that it's going to go into the NHS and help cut back on the uh, uh, on, on the length of time people are waiting for procedures because that doesn't seem to be being affected at all at the moment. Um, I mean, they can't, it's going to be very hard for them to ring fence any of that, isn't it? Well, they can find a way to kind of technically hypothecate the funding forward, right? You can always find a way to put 12 billion additional back. But look, it is it is a very unfair tax rise. Mm. I mean, if you want 30k a year, you're going to pay 500 pounds from this national insurance wise. And I want to be clear to your listeners, that it's £500, it's not £250. Mm. If you're putting up taxes on employers and employees, the employer is taking that money out of your paycheck, even if it's not in your payslip. Mm. So £500 a year for someone on 30k, we know how much bills are rising as well. And particularly members of my generation having to pay more in taxes, you know, in order to protect the assets of the wealthy, whilst also we can't afford homes. It's a, it's an absurdity. It is rather unusual, isn't it? But that is the problem, though, with government right now, isn't it? Because everything's kind of a movable, I wouldn't say movable feast, but it's not really a feast. It's, well, it's not quite a famine either. But, but you know, everything kind of is moving around. The cost of, of, of energy is ludicrously high. It doesn't show any signs of, of, of abating. The cost of fuel is ridiculously high. The cost of everything else is going up. I mean, every time I go and buy anything, it seems to be more expensive than the last time I bought it. Um, and I'm fortunate enough not, not to have to worry too much about that. But a lot of people do. Do. And there's a lot of people, a lot of stuff now that people just simply can't afford. Yeah, prices are definitely increasing. And look, I'd say generally speaking, of course, these are global factors, right? We're seeing you know energy price rises across the world. We're seeing shipping container costs rising as well. But yeah. this government hasn't really helped in that particular regard. So there weren't enough visas, for example, for truck drivers six months ago when McDonald's were running out of milkshakes. That's increasing costs. We don't have enough gas storage in this country to kind of ensure that we're getting there. We still don't have enough kind of nuclear power plants to give us reliable energies. There are decisions that this government and previous governments have made that have made this cost of living crisis higher. On top of that, a cut to universal credit that's still coming of four billion. That means those kind of who are the low income of society, part-time workers, the disabled, are about to see a huge loss of income while bills are rising by hundreds of pounds. I mean, we're all feeling it. I'm certainly reticent to turn the heating on at the moment. I'm sure lots of your listeners at home 
I'm much the same. Cold today as well. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Once inflation really kicks in, I mean, what happens to this government then? Because I don't see the Labour Party really necessarily providing the answer because not many people see that and I'm not even sure they've, they've got the wherewithal to get themselves re-elected as, as leaders and, and potential uh, governments, you know. Um, but what do you think? Well, it's almost as though we're kind of going from one crisis to another and the crisis, you know, like the HGV crisis comes and goes. You know, the petrol crisis comes and goes. It's still kind of there, but it's not at sort of peak worry time, you know what I mean? And you wonder what, if anything, is going to destabilise Boris Johnson and, and this government. Like I said, I don't, his, his, his act yesterday, I think, was exactly that, just an act pretending that he couldn't even remember what he was saying and where he was in his speech. I mean, nobody's that daft, even him. I mean, I'm no, I don't know the, the kind of the mind of Boris Johnson. I would say that, generally speaking, administrations take on the character of the principal, mm. OK? So if Boris Johnson is kind of somewhat chaotic close to things at the last minute that's the way his administration is going to run as well civil servants can only do what comes from the top the second thing is what do voters ask themselves when they tend to vote they ask themselves is the leader competent will this government make me better off and do their values align with my own and the problem is that if you've got a time and you look at the leader and you go this guy isn't very competent and i would say actually the past couple of weeks you see some real uh shocking decisions by this government mm better off like you say inflation it hits everyone's particular incomes that question then does become very live as to okay now i'm going to start to look at the alternatives in the opposition we know that yesterday keir starmer gave a very well received speech at the cbi he certainly seems to be increasing in the polls and also growing in confidence as well as aggression against this government well what was interesting was that he came up in the polls ahead of the tories when he was in isolation when he came back he went back down again uh, at the moment, look, I'm starting to see, like, I think Labour at a three to four point lead. I think we've seen a steady improvement in his rating since his conference speech in October. He certainly seems to be more kind of forceful in the job, which is what people were calling for him to do at the same time as Boris Johnson clearly is on the way down. And we're seeing today, of course, lots of stories about senior Tories saying you have to fix that operation in Downing Street. And the problem is it's never really the advisors. It's the guy that's choosing and picking them. And that's Boris Johnson. I personally don't see him changing, but of course we will see one. No, but that's the thing. I mean, we, we can, I don't, there's not many people out there, uh, I would say, uh, Jeevan, who would have a good word to say about Boris Johnson. I mean, apart from people who are rigidly loyal to him in his own party, but probably if you got them on their own, they might not even say that. But, but yet there he is, uh, you know, the bumbling continues, you know, the, 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 the spending continues, the U-turns continue. I mean, it seems as though there's nothing he can do, really, to, to, to get himself in a bad position. Well, it's like you said, I mean, no one seems to have like a, you know, a kind of heartfelt loyalty towards him. They voted for him because they thought he was a winner. The moment where it looks like he's going to lose, I suspect there won't be a lot of residual goodwill and good faith inside the Conservative bench that, look, we're saying the Tories are slipping behind. The Tories are slipping behind as and when it is November and prices still are increasing. We'll see where we are in two months' time in what is going to be a very cold winter. And I'm expecting more of these kind of decisions and these kind of flubs to come from this government because nothing indicates to me that it is going to change. So I suspect the Conservatives are now looking around. I suspect we might end up seeing a lot more speeches by leading Conservatives maybe in the early next year kind of setting out their stall. I know Liz Truss was apparently at Conservative conference drumming up support. We, of course, know the Chancellor is also looking mm. at the lead well. So uh, we will see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think Liz Truss is a more likely contender really than Rishi Sunak don't you well it could be I mean look I have no idea who the kind of conservative membership will choose I said they voted once for a leader in the past what 15 years since Cameron came in in 2005 yeah. 
and that person was Boris Johnson. So, I mean, they certainly, as a party, they're quite old and quite, if you like, tribal, like quite core conservative mm. voters. They go for the person who fundamentally makes them feel the best about being a conservative, and that person could be this trust. Yeah, I, I, I wonder, I mean, I'm sorry that we've veered off into sort of political theory here, but I was talking to Tom Hunt the other day about this and how they're supposed to be a kind of bit of a, um, shall we say, a free zone between the new intake of uh, red wall type MPs, young MPs, uh, who are nothing like the old sort of shire um, conservative party associations and the, the Reese Moggs of this world and they're all looked upon as a sort of slightly upstarty, you know. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out really. Yeah, it will be. I mean, look, like I said, we've got these coalitions kind of putting apart. The question is who comes to the membership and who are the MPs except for that final two. And the fact that we're even talking about conservative leadership elections and contenders kind of shows you where the current government is. I mean, I don't think any of us would have thought when Boris Johnson won an 80 seat majority, he might not last a mm. full term. And yet this is where we are kind of two years in. So I would be very worried if I was Boris Johnson. And also I'd be worried if I was a Conservative MP as well. But there again, in back in the heady days of December 2019, we, we didn't really know what coronavirus was either. <laughs> no, we didn't. Uh, that was a nice time. I mean, it does seem a long way away, doesn't it? Let me finish up finally, Jeevan, just with your thoughts on, on the future for care homes then. I mean, in the next 12 months or so, uh, are we going to see any changes, do you think, or is it all going to take rather a long time? I think it's going to take rather a long time. We know this $12 billion extra, most of it's going to the NHS in the first three years to deal with the backlogs. We also know there aren't enough beds inside the NHS, which is causing knock-ons into care homes as well. I wouldn't expect overnight improvements. And the other thing, of course, to say is this money, this package, the idea was to change how kind of assets were dealt with and not necessarily about kind of how the funding is getting there. Mm. So I would expect it's going to be a, a slow and difficult road ahead. Yeah, I suspect you're probably right. Jeevan, thank you very much indeed. Jeevan Sander, economist, Ford Treasury official, they're talking about uh, the care home bill, which went through, of course, last night. It was not defeated. There wasn't a big enough rebellion against it, but there are just enough probably Tory MPs on the back benches who will uh, ask for changes to be made to it. Uh, the House of Lords is likely to be changing bits of it as well. Uh, the question really is, um, is it, totally and utterly unfair to expect people to have to give up their home in order to pay for their social care when they're old. I think it's totally ridiculous. I think it's awful. Imagine trying to leave your house to your children, but it ends up that you have to sell the house in order to pay for your own care and they get left with nothing. Effectively, there's no point in buying a house, is there? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.